Do you ever struggle with remembering details from your travels? Then I've got something special for you. How would you like a better way to keep track of all the things you see and experience in Scotland? A way to keep those special memories and all the details fresh for years to come. My new Scotland travel journal might just be what you need. It includes daily journaling prompts to help you start writing about your day, lots of space for doodling and notes, prompts to reflect on your trip overall, and suggestions for things to do that help you make more meaningful connections with Scotland. There's also inspiration for your travel bucket list, a map to draw your route, space to keep track of your travel details, and some Gaelic and Scottish phrases to try while you're here. All you have to do is print out the journal, fold the pages in half and start writing. The Scotland Travel Journal is the perfect companion for your upcoming trip to Scotland. Find it in the Watch Me See online shop or visit the link in the show notes. And now, let's get on with the show. Hello there, and welcome to Wild for Scotland, a podcast full of immersive travel stories from Scotland. I'm your host, Cathy Kamleitner. Wild for Scotland helps you connect with Scotland and dream about future adventures, regardless of your travel plans. Each episode starts with a travel story to whisk you away. Then I'll tell you some of my top tips to visit Scotland for yourself. So lean back and enjoy. Let's travel to Scotland. Welcome back to another episode of Wild for Scotland. This season is all about road trips. Each week we hit the road to discover a different scenic drive in Scotland. Along the way we'll stop to see what's left and right of the road. We'll discover landscapes, spot wildlife, explore historic sites and meet a local or two. After a drive down one of Scotland's most famous roads last week, it's time to go off the beaten path. Today's episode is going south, as far south as possible, to be exact. Underrated, but full of opportunities. That's how I describe the south of Scotland, and that's why I love telling people about this area. In fact, when you head to my blog Watch Me See, you'll find several blog posts about South Scotland and suggestions for things to do. One of the ready-made itineraries I'll be launching soon is also going to explore the best of the South. If you're intrigued, find the link in the show notes and sign up to find out more about my ready-made itineraries. In recent years, the southwest of Scotland has gained in popularity. A new road trip route, the Southwest Coastal 300, is an easy-to-follow loop around the region, but when you compare it to other places in Scotland, it's still fairly underappreciated. Today's story will hopefully change that. We're exploring one of the peninsulas on the southwest coast, the Rins of Galloway. If you've ever thought about taking the ferry from Scotland to Northern Ireland, that's where you'd find yourself. But there are many more reasons to visit and so many places to discover. So let's fasten those imaginary seatbelts again and hit the road. This is Rins of Galloway.
I'm standing on top of a rock that is surrounded by water. Speckles of colourful lichen cover the surface below my feet. Soft white, golden mustard, pastel green. From the cracks grow little pincushions of grass and thrift with white, pink and purple blossoms. A clear contrast to the deep blue sea beyond. Across the bay lies the hustle and bustle of a busy waterfront. Cars moving slowly along the road, squeezing past groups of people who have taken over the pavement, spilling out onto the road whenever they need to. Kids are running up and down the promenade, begging for ice cream, chasing seagulls, enjoying the sunshine. The beer gardens are busy, glasses are clinking, people are laughing. At the far end of the bay, there is a small sandy beach. People are sitting on blankets, are leaning against a stone wall that separates it from the road. Others are wading in the water, not quite sure yet whether they will take the plunge into the cold. There are colourful floats, small rubber dinghies, dogs chasing balls. The noise is that of a typical day by the seaside, loud but cheerful. But the soft breeze is carrying the sounds away from me, over the roofs of the village. Out here on the rock, it is calm and quiet, and I get to witness the lively scene like a distant observer. I'm in Port Patrick, a small coastal town in the southwest of Scotland that was built around this natural sandy harbour. When I turn my back to the village, I can see the coast of Northern Ireland just over 20 miles in the distance. Back in the day, Port Patrick was the primary point of entry for Irish boats bringing people, wares and livestock to Scotland. In the 18th century, John Smeaton built the first proper harbour here that would shelter the boats from the strong North Channel winds. It was rebuilt and expanded in the 19th century, but soon after, Port Patrick lost its significance in the trade and boats from Ireland were instead redirected to nearby Stranraer. Nevertheless, the harbour remains to this day. The rocks I'm standing on, which were crucial to protecting the harbour from waves and storms, still fulfil this function today. Like an arm, they lovingly hug the lagoon, making sure that the village stays warm and safe. Port Patrick is a popular place to visit, possibly the busiest place in this region, known as the Rins of Galloway, a hammerhead-shaped peninsula in the southwest of Scotland. It is my first stop on today's road trip, which will lead me from Port Patrick on the west coast, down along the coastal road in the east, and finally to the southernmost point of Scotland, the Mull of Galloway. It is quiet here, well, not in Port Patrick by the harbour, but as soon as you leave the busy waterfront behind, there's very little traffic and footfall. It's a shame not more people know about this region, and yet that's what makes it so charming. A hidden gem tucked away so far southwest that it would be impractical to visit for many travellers who come to Scotland seeking medieval old towns and dramatic mountain ranges. You won't find either 
here on the Rins of Galloway, but if you, like me, love coasts and cliffs, harbours and beaches, seabirds and dunes, then the southwest of Scotland might be just the place for you. I follow a trail from the harbour, up towards the steep cliffs north of the village. One of Scotland's grandest long-distance trails begins right here, the Southern Upland Way. It leads from coast to coast for 214 miles. A little long on this occasion, but at least I can now say I've walked some of it. As I reach the top of the cliffs, I look back towards the village. I can see the different shades of blue in the ocean. Light turquoise, where there is sand below. Dark blue and black, where there are rocks. A new sound is joining the crashes of the waves and the distant hum of the waterfront. Seabirds are nesting on the cliffs, out of sight from this angle, but certainly within earshot. Their screeching sounds bounce off the vertical rock walls, forming a soundscape that is both deafening and soothing. I sit on a bench for a while, listening to the song of the coast. Eventually, it is time to move on. I walk back to my car, put it in gear and hit the road. I follow the road in a southeast direction and cut across the peninsula. I drive past farms and old stone churches. Sheep next to the road are seeking shade under big trees. A tractor forces me to slow down for a while as I fall behind it, happy in a way to see more of the scenery. I reach Sandhead, a small village on the east coast of the peninsula. I decide to make a quick stop by the beach that stretches for miles and miles from here to the top of Loose Bay. From the 1930s to the 1990s, the Royal Air Force of Britain used the beach as a training bombing range and I can still see some of the remaining target towers that were erected on the beach a few miles north from here. A few miles east at Garleston, the military tested its invasion of Normandy before it actually happened on D-Day in 1944. Even then, few people paid attention to what was going on in the southwest of Scotland. At low tide, the beach of Sandhead is not only long, but also incredibly wide. Children are playing in the sand, building sandcastles, or looking for crabs and shells buried below the surface. The water feels miles away. I go for a wander along the beach, past a busy caravan park, and follow the path away from the shore and into the sand dunes of Clay Shant. Once known for the second oldest church in the region and later a quarry for sand, this sandy heathland is now home to a wealth of bird life who come here during the winter months to escape the cold climate elsewhere. Today, 
All I see are the purple flashes of colour from the blooming heather. Back on the road, I continue my journey south. I stay on the main road for a while, passing countless more caravan sites, cambies and beaches, and the village of Ardwell that's made up of just one street. And then, when the road forks into two, I take the road on the right and follow it to the Logan Botanic Gardens. The Rins of Galloway Peninsula forms a natural barrier for all kinds of weather coming to Scotland across the North Channel and from the Atlantic. It is wetter here than in other parts of the country, but also milder, which makes for great conditions for all sorts of plant life. Like you wouldn't even believe what kinds of plants can survive in Scotland. At Logan Botanic Gardens, though, you get a pretty good sense of that. I park up and get a ticket at the little cafe and gift shop and step outside into this green world. I am greeted by rows of tall palm trees, like I've only seen once before, in California. They are smaller than those on the boulevards of LA, I'll admit that, but I still feel immediately transported to a more tropical place, losing all sense of where I'm actually at. From the palm trees, I journey past more palm trees in all shapes and sizes, cacti and succulents, banana trees and giant tree ferns. I come by beautiful eucalyptus trees with their characteristic colourful bark and a Chilean myrtle with bright red stems. Koi fish swim in a little pond that is framed by reeds and dotted with lily pads. I spot pheasants roaming the grounds and wouldn't be surprised if I found a peacock somewhere spreading his wheel. I listen for their calls. But alas, my imagination has carried me away. There are flowers, bright purple, yellow and orange. Butterflies circle around them like moths attracted to light. My favourite part is a path under giant rhubarb plants from Brazil. As a child, I used the leaves of slightly smaller versions of this plant as umbrellas when it rained on hikes. This variety has thorns along its stems and fuzzy red flowers near the ground. I stand under one of them, stretch my hands into the air and still can't reach the leaf above. In a glasshouse, there are even more exotic plants from South Africa, orchids and cacti, flowers and palms. The garden is enormous. I could spend hours roaming the paths and finding new plants. It was first opened in 1869. Back then, it was a hobby of the upper class to collect specimens of exotic plants and assemble them into joyful garden landscapes. There are many such gardens all over Scotland, but Logan has inarguably the best climate for the most tender of species. Before I leave, I do a quick round through the nursery where you can pick up seedlings and small plants that were grown here and transport them to your own garden back home. Now, about halfway down the peninsula, I begin my journey to the final stop of this road trip. I return to the main road, which closely hugs the shore for a while before climbing the hilly streets of Dramore and continuing inland. 
steady in a southwards direction. The end point of my drive comes into view a while before I reach it. The Mull of Galloway Lighthouse rises high above the ground, 26 metres, or 85 feet to be exact. Like so many other lighthouses in Scotland, it was built by Robert Stevenson, a civil engineer from Glasgow. He designed almost 20 lighthouses across the country. His first lighthouse, the Bell Rock Lighthouse, off the coast of Angus, stands on a rock that is submerged below the sea for 20 hours of the day. It took 60 men three years to build it and is considered one of the seven wonders of the industrial world. This lighthouse here isn't quite as adventurous, but the seas it overlooks are equally as treacherous. I walk from the car park along the footpaths of the RSPB Nature Reserve. The Mall of Galloway is home to breeding colonies of seabirds, guillemots, kittiwakes and puffins. They benefit from the climate, but also the convergence of nine sea currents that clash here where the Irish Sea meets the North Channel and the Solway Firth. They bring with them nutrients and fish, but have demanded many boats in return. According to legend, the currents were conjured up by a witch in an attempt to stop an infamous witch hunter from making his way to Scotland. Today we know that they are caused by opposing tidal rips and are a phenomenon that occurs every 90 minutes after low tide. Whichever explanation you prefer, the sea can be vicious out here. I swing by the red foghorn below the lighthouse. Back in the day, lighthouse keepers used it to signal to nearby ships if the visibility dropped too low. The last time it sounded was in 1987, but in recent years it has been repaired to working order and is now the only operational foghorn on mainland Scotland. I climb around the red pipes and find a spot on the cliffs slightly behind the horn. From here I can see the endless sea, the horizon only interrupted by the faint outline of the Isle of Man to the south. After a while I climb back up the steep path and make my way to the lighthouse. Its whitewashed walls glistening in the sunshine. Yellow stripes framing the narrow windows all the way up. There is a small visitor centre in one of the outhouses telling the story of the lighthouse and the Stevenson family. Old engines are on display in the engine room. They were no longer needed after the lighthouse became automated in 1988. I join a group and cross the open courtyard from the exhibition to the tower. The inside is surprisingly bright. The walls are sky blue and the stairs painted red and white. The sunlight pours in through the small windows that reveal the views as I climb higher and higher up the spiral staircase. I follow our guide to the top of the tower, a circular room around a slim pedestal with two lights. There is no need for lenses or heavy machinery anymore. Here, at 99 metres above sea level, the ocean looks like a smooth blue surface. 
The currents have died down and the blue of the water flows seamlessly into the sky. Once again, I spot the coast of Northern Ireland in the distance. Faint, but I know it's there. And as I stare into the blue, I think back to my eventful day on the road and my journey from Port Patrick to the lighthouse across the rinds of Galloway. I hope you enjoyed the story from my journey to the Rins of Galloway. If you followed my recent travels over on Watch Me See, you know how much I love South Scotland. In July, I walked the Mull of Galloway Trail. A few weeks ago, I explored the Scottish borders. And in the past few weeks, I helped two clients plan their own itineraries to the south. But before we get to my top tips to visit the Rins of Galloway, I want to tell you about our sponsors. Welcome back. Now it's time for the practical part of the show. Here are my top five travel tips to help you plan a trip to the southwest of Scotland. Tip number one bring plenty of time. The southwest of Scotland is a little bit out of the way. From Glasgow, it takes about two hours to drive to Stranraer, which is the biggest town in the region. Now, that doesn't sound so far. But if you want to include the southwest in a more general Scotland itinerary, you'll quickly find that there's a lot to do and see. It would be a shame to only visit for one or two nights. In fact, that's why I'm working on a ready-made itinerary that spends a whole week in the south of Scotland. Tip number two. Base yourself in Newton Stewart. There's no shortage of accommodation on the Rins of Galloway. In fact, there are many lovely hotels and bed and breakfasts by the waterfront in Port Patrick and some stunning caravan parks up and down the coast. But I like basing myself in or around Newton Stewart when I visit the area. Newton Stewart sits about halfway along the coast of the Solway Firth. That's what the sea inlet in the southwest of Scotland is called. From there, you have easy access to the Rins of Galloway in the west but also other places like Wicktown, our national book town, the Galloway Forest Park and historic sites towards Dumfries. Tip number three, visit Logan Botanic Garden. In case you couldn't tell from the story, Logan Botanic Garden is undoubtedly one of the most beautiful gardens I've visited in Scotland. It was gifted to the nation in 1969 and is now part of the Royal Botanic Garden Edinburgh. By visiting, you support their scientific and conservation work that allows us to learn more about biodiversity, climate change and global ecologies. Tip number four. Go to the Grapes Bar in Stranraer. A stranger is just a friend you haven't met yet. I can't think of a better place where this applies than the Grapes Bar in Stranraer. In fact, the sentence is painted onto the side of the building. The pub is small but cheerful and plays host to many bands and local musicians. From blues to Americana, there's always something going on and you'll soon be chatting to some of the locals in the bar. Tip number five. Consider hiking the Mull of Galloway Trail. 
The Mull of Galloway Trail is a long-distance trail that starts at the Mull of Galloway Lighthouse and leads to Strandraer. You can hike it in two days, like I did last July, or take longer to do day trips to the gardens, Port Patrick and other interesting places on the peninsula. I hiked the trail during a heatwave and really enjoyed the variety of scenery you walk through, from the steep cliffs near the lighthouse to sandy dunes covered in heather and quiet back roads through farmland. It's a beautiful trail and very quiet, so you'll have it all to yourself. And with this, I send you off to dream about your own trip to the Rins of Galloway. Next week, I'll be back with an island story. You didn't think I had used them all up in season one, did you? We'll be heading west to see beaches, standing stones and traditional black houses. Do you know where we might be going? I'd love to hear your guesses. Just drop me a message on social media at Wild for Scotland. Thank you so much for listening to Wild for Scotland. If you want to support the show and financial giving is in the cards, you can become a Patreon for £3 or dollars or euros per month and get access to bonus content. You'll find the link in the show notes. Wild for Scotland is written and hosted by me, Cathy Kamleitner. Fran Tarowskis is the producer and editor of the show. Podcast art is by Lizzie Vaughan Knight, the Tartan Trailburner, and all original music is composed by Bruce Wallace. Until next time, when we travel down a different road in Scotland. If you're still here, listening all the way to the very end, it means you've probably got your hands full. So let me take this opportunity to remind you that I don't just write immersive travel stories. I also plan unforgettable itineraries for Scotland, and it's never been easier to follow one of my routes. Head to watchmesee.com forward slash shop to browse my ready-made Scotland itineraries and turn your travel dreams into reality.